All right, welcome, welcome everybody to another podcast episode of The Final Final. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. A lot of NFL free agency news that has come down since last week Thursday when the legal tampering period for the NFL began and now since the NFL New Year has begun as well. A little something for a lot of people to distract themselves with all of this uh, coronavirus news that keeps popping up. So we'll go ahead and get started with all that news today. The NFL, first off, also passed the new CBA agreements last week, meaning there will be no work stoppage in the NFL for at least another 10 years. You probably saw and and heard some of the big-name players having and voicing their displeasure with this deal, such as Aaron Rodgers, most notably, along with Richard Sherman as well and, and some other guys. This new deal, some of the highlights just for now, gives players 47% in the revenue to the owners 53% to start and then can go to 48% for the players to the owners 52%, I think, next year. I'm not exactly sure how that one works yet. But also in this new deal, there will be two teams added to the playoffs starting this upcoming season. So now it's going to be 14 teams out of the 32 in the playoffs, seven teams in each conference where only the one seed now gets a bye week. So take it this year instead of the 49ers and the Packers being the two bye weeks in the first week of the playoffs, it would just be the 49ers with that bye week, and the Packers instead would have had to play the Rams in the wild card weekend. That's how that would have went. And then starting two seasons from now, they'll be adding a 17th game to the regular season, which is interesting. I'm sure a lot of players weren't too excited about that. But it was passed. I think there was maybe just over a thousand yes votes by the players and just over nine hundred no votes. So it was a pretty to- uh, pretty tight vote. But they they got it passed. So we have football, NFL football for ten more years. Uh, at this point, I'm sure I'll go into more detail of this when I get when I start to get bored in isolation. I'm sure, and I decide to take a closer look at some of the details. But those were some of the headliners for this new CBA deal. But On to free agency now. I have to start with quite possibly the biggest free agent acquisition or maneuver possibly of all time, and that is Tom Brady. And Tom Brady has agreed in principle to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just crazy, I know. The deal is is rumored to be somewhere in the $30 per year range, but we don't know how many years yet are attached to this deal as they're just ironing out the details at this point and they're waiting to announce. But first of all, just trying to imagine Tom Brady not in a Patriots uniform next year is just going to be, it's going to be kind of weird and uncomfortable at first. I mean, imagine like Favre in a Vikings jersey, for me at least, or a Jets jersey. The the Vikings one was much worse, of course. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning initially in a Broncos jersey. Joe Montana in a Chiefs jersey was weird for those people at the time, I'm sure. It's funny, though, Tom Brady wears 12, and currently one of his uh, new weapons, Chris Godwin, wears 12. So uh, we'll have to see how he uh, smooth talks him and gets him into giving him his jersey at that point. But one of the things that I was wondering, why choose Tampa Bay over some of the other teams that reportedly were interested earlier on? I mean, the Chargers were a team that looked like one of the favorites to try and go after Tom Brady. The Raiders, at one point, were a team to be rumored to look at Tom Brady. But why Tampa Bay? So apparently Tom wanted to stay on the East Coast at least more because I I believe he still lives in the New York area or at least somewhere around up in the upper Northeast. 
Um, and so the, the East Coast is somewhere where he kind of wanted to stay. The Chargers then out here in Los Angeles were too far away, who seemed to be the other front runner for him. Um, also, I was going to say this one last week, and I was going to save it for this episode, but since he already is reportedly about to sign, I was thinking the Raiders could have been an int- interesting fit for him. I mean, they can grab a top wide receiver in the draft this year with that 12th overall pick. They also have the 19th overall pick. They have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. I mean, if you remember, Derek Carr didn't get sacked a bunch last season. He also had a quick trigger of of getting the ball out quickly. So, I mean, that works into Tom Brady's hands as well. They have one of the top tight ends in the NFL in Darren Waller. And now this offseason, they also just signed Jason Witten. Tom Brady is a big tight ends guy. We know that. They have a young, dynamic running back in Josh Jacobs to take some of the load off of Tom Brady. I mean, we saw... Josh Jacobs has a rookie rush for over 1,000 yards. He can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. Tom Brady likes to dump it off to running backs that come out of the backfield, so that seemed like it worked. John Gruden, known as an offensive-minded coach, could have worked well with Tom Brady as well. And then, of course, the new bright, big stadium, Las Vegas, lots of buzz, I think could have uh, really helped Las Vegas more than Tom Brady in the sense, but Tom Brady, I think, would have been okay with that as well. But instead, he's going to Tampa Bay, and this, when I look at it, makes a lot of sense in terms of what the team has to offer as well. So, I mean, first, the location. He stays on the East Coast, which was one of the big reasons that Tampa Bay was a place he wanted to stay. Second, I was just mentioning all the positives that the Raiders had. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have some positives as well in terms of weapons on this team. I mean, they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, possibly two of the top 10 wide receivers in the NFL at this point. I mean, they're both coming off of fantastic years. I mean, we saw Jameis Winston, their old quarterback now. He threw for over 5,000 yards, and these two are a big reason why. He's got O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait at tight end, which is a nice duo of tight ends. Not many other teams can say they have two formidable tight ends in this league. They have Ronald Jones at the running back position, who can catch balls out of the backfield as well from Tom Brady. Along with they have the 14th overall pick to possibly shore up their their offensive line. So there's definitely some attractions to this Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. Now coaching fit, Bruce Arians, new head co- or second year now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as their head coach. They also have Tom Moore as as Tom Moore is a longtime offensive uh, assistant who used to coach Peyton Manning a lot. So I mean both these these two coaches have offensive minds. And I think they'll be able to help mold this team around Tom Brady where they don't have a set system. They can create a system to help Tom Brady succeed. So he'll be surrounded by the coaches and the weapons. So I believe I can understand why Tampa Bay was a destination ultimately, the destination that Tom Brady chose this offseason. It's crazy to think about. But now, speaking of those weapons that I mentioned above, that Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, the two tight ends of O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid, he's got the head coach. Where do we rank the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now in terms of a top-tier team, possibly? I mean, you have Tom Brady on your team. That automatically puts you into the conversation of, do you have a chance of making it to the Super Bowl? Because with Tom Brady, he's got six Super Bowl rings. It's Super Bowl or bust with Tom Brady. That's his mindset. I'm not saying for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that has to be their mindset. But let's see where they possibly can rank in terms. We'll start with the NFC South, Tom Brady's new division. NFC South, that division has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints, and the Atlanta Falcons. 
So the question is, where do you rank them in there? The New Orleans Saints just recently re-signed Drew Brees this offseason as well. They got him back for two years. I think around there's a $50 million contract that he signed. So the Saints are still going to be one of the top teams. They won the NFC South last year as well. They're still formidable on offense. Their defense is improving as well. Do you rank the Buccaneers ahead of the Saints? The Carolina Panthers just signed Teddy Bridgewater this offseason. They stole him away from the Saints. They signed him to around, I believe, a three-year, $63 million deal. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. So, I mean, this, the Carolina Panthers look to have their quarterback position filled up. They still got Christian McCaffrey. They are losing a lot of pieces on defense this free agency. So we'll see about that. And then you've still got the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan, Julio Jones. They struggled a lot last year. Can they step it up this year? Right now in the NFC South, how I would rank it with how the teams look at this point, I'd start with the Saints, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Elvin Kamara, that offense. I would actually put Tampa Bay second in that division. It would go Saints, Buccaneers, and then it's between the Falcons and the Panthers at this point. Both have a lot of things to iron out on their team. So you put him second in the NFC South. Where do you rank the Buccaneers then as a whole in the NFC? So you've got some of the top teams. You got the 49ers who are still going to be good. You got the Packers in the North. You got the Vikings in the North. The Bears could possibly get better. We'll talk about them as well. You've got the Seattle Seahawks out there. Philadelphia Eagles made the playoffs last year as well. The Rams were ahead of Tampa Bay. Dallas just signed a big contract with their wide receiver. The Cardinals made a lot of moves this offseason. So where do you put them in terms of the NFC then? I still think the 49ers, like I said, the Saints, possibly the Seahawks, the Packers, the Vikings have a chance. I think now, like I said before, that they're adding a seventh seed into this playoffs this upcoming year, that the Buccaneers will be contending for both their division. I still think they can defeat the Saints with Tom Brady, no question about it. But they'll be contending for one of those seventh playoff spots. I think they'll be able to get there in that sense. Now, competing for a championship, that takes it to a whole other level. You've got the Ravens. You've got the reigning NFL champion Chiefs. There's a lot of teams, but I'll put them in the tier of making the playoffs at this point with Tom Brady. I don't know if they're a Super Bowl favorite or anything at this point, but I definitely think they are a playoff. They are a potential playoff-bound team now with Tom Brady at quarterback instead of Jameis Winston. I don't think Tom Brady's going to lead the league in throwing like Jameis Winston, but he's also not going to lead the league in interceptions or become a 30-touchdown, 30-interception guy. So they definitely improved and upgraded at the quarterback position for sure there. Now the next part of Tom Brady is where does this leave the New England Patriots with Tom Brady leaving now at the quarterback position? Their backup quarterback is second-year guy, Jarrett Stidham, quarterback out of Auburn. I mean, what do they do? Do they stick with this kid, or do they sign a free agent? I mean, there's Jameis Winston, obviously, now out there, or do they possibly trade for a guy, Andy Dalton, from the Cincinnati Bengals is a rumored guy that the Patriots have actually been connected to. Cam Newton, like I said, the Panthers just signed Teddy Bridgewater to a three-year deal with $40 million of that. Guaranteed, So Cam Newton's either going to be released or traded at this point. Do the Patriots go into the draft? They have the 23rd overall pick. Is a guy like Jordan Love available at that point? The problem with the Patriots, too, is 
they're not just a quarterback away from still being the same Patriots. They lost a lot of defensive guys as well in this draft that have left for, or I'm sorry, in free agency that have left this team as well, going to teams like the Detroit Lions, the Miami Dolphins in a sense like this. So it's not like we'll get a quarterback and we'll still a playoff team. I mean, we saw the holes at wide receiver and tight end last year on offense that Tom Brady couldn't necessarily work through. And if Tom Brady can't do it, are we sure that Andy Dalton's going to be able to be that guy? I mean, for the New England Patriots, I'm sure Bill Belichick is loving all of this. The Patriots are done sort of thing. He'll be able to use this as fuel to get his team motivated week to week, game to game. But I don't know. There's a lot that this team is missing. And I'm not sure where they start with because if they if if my original thinking is if Bill Belichick was connected to Andy Dalton before he might still be and that might be a guy that he'd like to work with at this point so then he doesn't have to use his first round pick this year on a quarterback so he doesn't have to go into this year with a rookie quarterback if he can go in with Andy Dalton now get a quarterback later that he can groom another guy that's actually available that I'm thinking of just now is Jacoby Brissett. He used to be a former Patriot. They traded him to the Colts. The Colts wanted him when Andrew Luck initially went down with an injury. Then, of course, Andrew Luck retired, and they stuck with Jacoby Brissett. But now that the Colts have signed Phillip Rivers, which I'll get to in a little bit, Jacoby Brissett is an expendable piece for them. So, I mean, there's some options for them at quarterback where I don't think they're going to want to go into the draft thinking we need one of these top talent guys at number 23. But we'll have to see. And then, of course, the last domino in this Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is what does Jameis Winston do now? If you remember this whole year, James Jones on NFL Network is saying Jameis Winston is a $100 million man. <laughs> but it doesn't look like he's going to be that at this point anymore. The The next question is, what is next for him? Could he become a backup like Ryan Tannehill where he goes to a team that isn't quite sure about their starting quarterback and he could compete, not necessarily start out as the guy, but maybe come in midseason and become the guy like Ryan Tannehill did? We'll talk about his new contract that he signed this offseason as well as a little bit. I mean, Ryan Tannehill came in behind Marcus Mariota, took over after a few games, and then, of course, led them into the playoffs and him and Derrick Henry led them to the AFC championship game. Does he go become a backup for one of these older QBs for a year or two and grow and develop, believe it or not, behind one of these guys and then take over after they're gone? Drew Brees, the Saints could use a new backup quarterback unless they want Taysom Hill to be that backup guy. But now since, like I said, Teddy Bridgewater is gone, could he go there? Phillip Rivers and the Colts could use a backup quarterback if Jacoby Brissett doesn't stay there. Ben Roethlisberger, we saw what the Steelers couldn't do on offense when he went down, whether they went with Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges. So, I mean, these are a couple of things that are in play for Jameis Winston if he can't find a starting job at this point. I mean, the Los Angeles Chargers seem to be, since they lost out on the Tom Brady sweepstakes, looking to the draft at this point. So I don't know what he's really thinking, but those those are some of the things that Jameis Winston is going to have to consider for now. So in other free agency news, a big trade that really caught a lot of people's attention and definitely mine was DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver for the Houston Texans, former wide receiver of the Houston Texans now, was traded to the Arizona Cardinals for David Johnson, 
a 2020 second round pick in this year's draft and next year's draft a fourth round pick. And this is just this is just mind-boggling to me because DeAndre Hopkins in my mind is a top 3 or top 5 wide receiver in this league. And wide receivers like that have been going for at least first round picks. We saw it last year with Odell Beckham. We saw it this year in another deal that I'll talk about as well. And they don't go for just first round picks. They go for maybe a first round pick, maybe first and a fourth or a first and a fifth or something like that. But just a second round pick this year and a fourth round pick the next year doesn't seem like enough for a top three or five wide receiver in this league. And so how the Texans run is Bill O'Brien, their head coach, is also their GM. And we saw some of the questionable moves that he made last year as well when he traded away Jadavion Clowney and didn't get a first-round pick for him and instead traded away his own first-round pick for a tackle in Laramie Tunsil from the Miami Dolphins. I mean, at this point, I mean, Tunsil hasn't been a complete failure for the team. But, I mean, at this point, I don't know if he was worth a first-round pick when they they possibly could have got him for less. Either way, it seems at this point Bill O'Brien needs to be fired as the GM of the Houston Texans. You can keep him as the coach. I think he's done a good job there, but he needs to stop handling the GM duties. Last year, like I said, the Jadavion Clowney one, sometimes it, it seems like he doesn't look for better offers once he gets his first one. I still think he's a good coach. I mean, he still led the team to the playoffs a couple times, but at this point, they've got to get someone else to handle the GM moves at, at, at this time because he's been making some really eye-opening trades and, and acquisitions to the team as well. I mean, he's he's trading away a top five wide receiver for a former top five running back. David Johnson is no longer a top five running back. He he fell out of the rotation with the Arizona Cardinals. And I mean, I don't know what, what they're thinking at this point, but that seemed crazy to me. The Cardinals, though, on the other hand, they come out of this looking very nice and I think are going to become a very dangerous team vying for one of those playoff spots this year in the NFC. I mentioned them when talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in terms of where they stand in the NFC. One of the big needs they had for this team was wide receiver, and you check that off the list here, acquiring a top three, four wide receiver in my mind. This gives them a ton of freedom as well heading into the draft of this year, not only just improving their offense significantly with the growth of Kyler Murray. So now they don't have to take a wide receiver at that eighth overall draft spot. They can take an offensive lineman to try and protect Kyler Murray. We know how mobile he is. We know how many hits and sacks he takes. With DeAndre Hopkins now in the fold, they don't have to worry about taking a C.D. Lamb or a Jerry Judy. They can take one of those top offensive tackles, Jaderic Willis, Mekhi Becton, guys like that, and Andrew Thomas even. Arizona is going to be pretty dangerous now with with DeAndre Hopkins, I think, in the fold. They don't have to be concerned when Larry Fitzgerald retires as well. I mean, the way I think that they're going to be dangerous is not as the same as last year where it was they could possibly get hot one game on offense because Kyler Murray goes off and has a bunch of rushing yards and maybe throws three passing touchdowns and beat a team like Seattle, luckily. There'll be a team, I think, this year that can compete week to week. Even with some of the top competition, they'll be facing the 49ers twice a year. They'll be facing the Seahawks twice a year. They'll be facing the Rams twice a year. That's a pretty tough division in the NFC South. NFC West, I'm sorry. And that they're going to be competing in that for one of those new playoff positions. But speaking of the NFC West, 
the Los Angeles Rams today released Todd Gurley. So Thursday, I've, whenever you're listening to this, they released Todd Gurley. They, they didn't play him as much as they thought they were going to last year. He kind of, they were concerned about his knee injury. Todd Gurley says he thinks they were concerned about it too much. Now the next question is, where does Todd Gurley go this upcoming season? So he'll still be owed around $7.5 million this year, I believe, from being released by the Rams with some of that guaranteed money in his last contract. So he's not going to be looking for the next big payday, and he's probably not going to be getting the next big payday anymore. So the the thought is maybe he signs a one-year or two-year contract this year with an opt-out clause and then shows teams that, hey, I can still be the Todd Gurley of old or maybe 90% 85 percent of the Todd Gurley of old to then get his next maybe mid-size contract to get him maybe a little more security after that so some teams in mind that could sign Todd Gurley at this point Atlanta Falcons is one they recently just released their starting running back Devontae Freeman that could be a good fit for Todd Gurley there him Matt Ryan Julio Jones could fit well nicely together Calvin Ridley the Arizona Cardinals is a team like I said they traded away their running back David Johnson. Kenyon Drake is their lead running back right now. I'm not sure if he is still a lead guy. Maybe takes all of the the running back snaps, so he could stay in the division. The Philadelphia Eagles is a team that I think would fit nicely with Todd Gurley as well. Their power running back, Jordan Howard, is going to be a Miami Dolphin. So Miles Sanders could still be their third down running back, their explosive running back that doesn't take all the touches. Todd Gurley could take a majority of the touches there. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, believe it or not, could be a team that signs him. Ronald Jones isn't necessarily an every-down running back, and I'm sure Todd Gurley wouldn't mind if he's on a one-year deal for less money since he's already got that $7 million guaranteed. Playing with Tom Brady wouldn't be a bad idea. Two other teams as well. The Detroit Lions could be a fit as long as, as long with the Seattle Seahawks, who had a lot of running back injuries last year as well. So, I mean, the thing, too, that this brings up with Todd Gurley being released, just, was it two years ago, maybe three years ago, he was the Offensive Player of the Year. What does this kind of say about paying running backs a lot of money when they hit free agency? So we saw it, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon had the holdout. That didn't turn out working for him. Todd Gurley got all got most of his money, but now he's been released, so he's not getting the full deal that he agreed to with the Los Angeles Rams. So what does this say about paying running backs at this point? And a lot of people are saying stay away from paying your running backs. Don't pay a guy this much money. We see it actually this year too with Derrick Henry, and I'll mention that in a little bit, probably a little bit more, that he got franchise tagged this year, which means the team has him under contract for one year at the top of the position salary, so he'll be making top dollar for his position but it's not the long-term long term security that these guys want. So people are saying don't sign these guys to long-term deals because it doesn't work out for the team in that sense. But my question is, when teams are talking about winning, when it comes to the playoffs, what are the things that everyone says a team needs to have come playoff time? They need to have a good defense, and they need to have a running game. That's really not something that's brought up when it comes time to contracts with a lot of these running backs. You hear them say if the team can run the ball well in the winter, in the harsh conditions, then the team is positioned nicely in the playoffs. We saw it this year with the Tennessee Titans. 
Derrick Henry carrying them through the wild card round against the New England Patriots and Tom Brady, then carries them against the number one seed Baltimore Ravens into the AFC Championship game against Patrick Mahomes. But that's not something that's brought up in terms of don't pay running backs. People aren't thinking of it in that terms. Everyone loves to have a running game come playoff time, but then in the offseason, nobody cares about what kind of running back they have at this point. It's just kind of two-sided, I think, in those terms, unless a lot of other players or a lot of teams are thinking, you know what, we can just find the next running back anywhere at this point. We can put a running back in and still be uh, just as formidable on offense. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. I'm not sure if a team can replace a Saquon Barkley, a Christian McCaffrey, guys kind of of that caliber. And those are the guys that are coming up next for contracts. I mean, Derrick Henry's, we'll see how his works. They ran him, they gave him the ball almost 400 times, 400 plus times this year. So we'll we'll see how he feels about being franchise tagged this year, possibly again next year. Remember, we saw this with Kirk Cousins in Washington where he got franchise tagged two years and then he finally got his long-term security with the Minnesota Vikings. Either way, it's just always interesting when you bring up running backs and getting those long-term deals like that. So we'll see how this works out for Todd Gurley, how it also will work out for Derrick Henry. So speaking of of Derrick Henry and the Titans, Ryan Tannehill signed a four-year, $118 million deal with the Tennessee Titans this offseason, which means they won't have the money to pay Derrick Henry the long-term deal that he's probably looking for. So they instead franchise tag him. So here are some other notable moves and trades and signings so far this offseason. Stephon Diggs, the former receiver of the Minnesota Vikings, gets traded to the Buffalo Bills for a first-round pick, the 22nd overall pick this year, a fifth and sixth-round pick in this year's draft as well, and then also a fourth-round pick in next year's draft. So this is what I was talking about when it came to DeAndre Hopkins. Stephon Diggs, who I don't believe is a top-10 wide receiver either at this point, gets a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick next year, plus two additional picks in this year's draft from the Buffalo Bills to the Minnesota Vikings for Stephon Diggs. And yet we see DeAndre Hopkins go for a second round pick and a fourth round pick in next year's draft. And just not a washed up running back, but and not an over the hill running back either in David Johnson, but a running back that's no longer a top 10, maybe even top 15 running back at this point. Who knows? Maybe he'll prove us all wrong and show what he can do in Houston this upcoming year. But either way, this is what I was talking about with Stefan Diggs versus DeAndre Hopkins and how their their deals were structured in these trades. But either way, Stefan Diggs, I think, is a nice acquisition for the Buffalo Bills in terms of he's a deep ball wide receiver. Josh Allen loves to throw the deep ball to his wide receiver. So this is going to be a nice connection that you see with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. The Minnesota Vikings didn't come out of this deal looking around like they got screwed over either in this point they get a first round pick so they have the 22nd overall pick this year and the 25th overall pick so they kind of get back-to-back first round picks so they're sitting pretty there as well another one i've mentioned this a couple times teddy bridgewater signed a three-year 63 million dollar deal with the carolina panthers at this point what does that mean now for cam newton teddy bridgewater like i i think i mentioned before is going to have around 40 million of that 63 million dollar deal guaranteed So he's going to be their starter. And now the Carolina Panthers are looking to trade Cam Newton. And if they can't find a trade partner, they're going to do the same thing as what the Rams just did with Todd Gurley, and they're going to have to cut him. And Cam Newton's not a guy that I'm thinking is going to be a backup at this point. He seems like 
if he's healthy, can still be a quality starter. He's not going to be the MVP Cam Newton from, I think that was the 2015 season. But something that I think would work out really well for Cam Newton and I think could work out for this team as well as the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, right now they have Tyrod Taylor, and that's kind of their plan going into the season as they draft someone with that sixth overall pick. I think you put Cam Newton in there instead of Tyrod Taylor. Then possibly they get Justin Herbert. Let's say at that sixth overall pick, you've got two tall quarterbacks, two mobile quarterbacks as well. We saw Justin Herbert as a mobile quarterback all throughout college his college career especially in that Rose Bowl game against Wisconsin where he ran for three touchdowns. But I think Cam Newton, a good fit for him right now, would be the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, other team, other possibilities that we talked about were teams such as the Chicago Bears, but they filled that need, and I'll get to that a little later on as well. But with Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina, what does it mean for Cam Newton? That's something we're going to be keeping an eye on for sure. But I think the Los Angeles Chargers, after they missed out on getting Tom Brady, could be a nice spot for Cam Newton, who could be their starting quarterback for two, maybe three years, but let's say two years, and then they can get that rookie quarterback that they take with the sixth overall pick in there, and it would be a nice transition instead of the ones where you always see they, they draft the quarterback, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's going to sit for a year, but instead he's in by week five, <laughs> and then sometimes the quarterback's development just goes south really quickly. I think that could be good for, for both teams, or for both parties there, Cam Newton and the Los Angeles Chargers. Other moves as well, Amari Cooper, wide receiver for Dallas, signs his five-year, $100 million extension with the team. So him and Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, I believe, got franchise tagged. He's still looking for his long-term deal, but those two will still be in Dallas at least for the next year. The Cleveland Browns made a couple of big splash moves at the offensive line and tight end positions. They signed the big coveted offensive lineman Jack Conklin, to a three-year, $42 million deal, and they signed tight end Austin Hooper to a four-year, $44 million deal. Austin Hooper was actually a target that the Packers were looking at to sign. So Cleveland takes care of a really big need on the offensive line in Jack Conklin, the former Tennessee Titan, right tackle, I believe, one of those guys that was paving the way for Derrick Henry. So this is a big move that the Browns needed to make. They can still draft an offensive lineman as well. They had a lot of holes against their whole offensive line. So we'll see what they do in the draft with making these two big moves right here. The Jacksonville Jaguars have traded Calais Campbell, former first-team All-Pro. I think he's a five-time Pro Bowler as well. They've traded him to the Baltimore Ravens for only a fifth-round pick. I believe it's such a late-round pick because I think Baltimore is taking in most of the cash that the Jaguars owe Campbell. But, man, I think this is a huge pickup for the Ravens. I mean, we saw it last year in the playoffs how they couldn't stop Derrick Henry. And now they've got a guy up the middle who not only rushes the passer passer really well, but this guy can stop the run. So the Ravens look like they get one of the better ends of this deal for sure in only trading a fifth-round pick for a former first-team All-Pro. We'll have to see how that works out for them. 49ers now, they trade DeForest Buckner, one of their defensive linemen, to the Indianapolis Colts for a first-round pick. So the 49ers get the 13th overall pick, and the Colts get DeForest Buckner. They also gave him a new contract, and I think it's somewhere upwards of $21 million per year they're going to be paying this guy, so that's a huge deal there. The Colts have been looking for someone up the middle to try and help their defensive front line. So now how their defense is going to look, it's going to be DeForest Buckner anchoring that D-line. 
They've still got Darius Leonard in the middle. Their linebacker, who's been who was defensive rookie of the year last year, and they've got that secondary of Ohio State guys as well. So we'll have to see how well that defense improves with DeForest Buckner there now. The Indianapolis Colts also signed Phillip Rivers, former longtime quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers. They signed him to a one-year, $25 million deal. I don't think there's a second-year option, but with the one-year deal, I think they if, if it works out for this year, they'll bring him back for a second year. So now Phillip Rivers goes from the Chargers to the Colts and no longer uh, Jacoby Brissett, who was kind of a one-year feel-it-out since uh, Andrew Luck retired unexpectedly for them last year. So so, so some big moves there for, for the Indianapolis Colts. Byron Jones, one of the better cornerbacks in this league from the Dallas Cowboys, he signs a five-year, $82.5 million deal with the Miami Dolphins. So now the Miami Dolphins have the most expensive cornerback in the NFL in Byron Jones, and they also have the second most expensive cornerback in the NFL in Savion Howard. So they're banking on their secondary to be one of the bright spots on this team. Corey Littleton, the linebacker from the Rams, inside linebacker, he signs a three-year, $36 million deal with the Las Vegas Raiders. This is another guy that the Green Bay Packers were looking at to shore up their interior linebacker position, but he'll be going to the Raiders instead. And then another one, Detroit Lions have traded Darius Slay, one of the top corners in the NFL, to the Philadelphia Eagles for a third round and a fifth round pick in this 2020 draft. I mean, we saw recently all over social media how the Detroit Lions were likely going to be trading Darius Slay, and then he started to come out himself and say, if you're going to trade me, let's get it over with already. Let's get out of here. So now the Philadelphia Eagles pick up a top cornerback, and boy, do they need help in that secondary because that and the wide receiver were their two huge holes this past season. I'm not sure how they still were able to make the playoffs with those with those holes that they had on this team. But Darius Slay really fills a big need for them. He can cover any team's number one wide receiver and have some pretty decent success. And this also frees up the Eagles to use their first-round pick this year on a wide receiver of almost their choosing. At I believe they pick around 21st. So the top three guys will be gone. CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs will most likely be gone at that point. But from there, they can have their pick of the litter at wide receiver so that's a really nice pickup there for the Philadelphia Eagles. And then also, last thing that I want to talk about, Chicago Bears trade a fourth-round pick to the Jacksonville Jaguars for quarterback Nick Foles. And the question now becomes with this move, what does that mean for Mitchell Trubisky of the Bears? Who's the starting quarterback week one? You guys remember, I believe, my second episode when I had my roommate Jordan Anderson on here. He's a Bears fan. And I'll tell you what, he... He likes the Nick Foles move. He's ready to have his heart broken again by Nick Foles for him starting over Mitchell Trubisky. He's in on Nick Foles being the starter. The connections that Nick Foles has with the head coach in Matt Nagy, with the offensive coordinator, and with the quarterback's coach, Bill Lazor. I believe he's the offensive coordinator. But Nick Foles has connections with all those guys and being coached by him before. So, so he's kind of excited there. But is this the end? For Mitchell Trubisky, who's going to be starting week one? We don't know at this point, but it's just really interesting to see how they brought in Nick Foles to be that veteran guy, and we'll see how that works out for them at this point. A lot of other deals also that just went this whole week and in this past weekend as well. Chris Harris Jr., a really top cornerback, he joins a loaded, a loaded Chargers defensive backfield. 
Robert Quinn, a big defensive end from Dallas. He signs a huge deal with the Chicago Bears as well. Joe Schobert, former Wisconsin player and former Cleveland Brown. He gets a big deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But now the next domino that everyone's waiting for to fall is Jadavion Clowney. He still hasn't signed. NFL Network's second-ranked free agent in this class out of their top 101. He was number two this whole time. He still hasn't signed. And once he signs, a lot of other defensive positions and defensive players will fall into place after that. So we'll have to see what the next big domino is to fall. But Jadavion Clowney is definitely one that everyone is keeping an eye on. So what have the Packers done so far in free agency? As you all know, I'm a huge Packers fan at this point. Last year, they made the big moves of signing Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, and of course, Zedarius Smith, who a lot thought could have been the defensive player of the year this past year. So, I mean, they made move after move last year in free agency. This year, what have they done so far? Just only a couple of things, really. They signed offensive tackle Rick Wagner, a former Detroit Lion, their former right tackle. They signed him to a two-year $11 million deal. They signed linebacker Christian Kirksey as well, former Cleveland Brown, to a two-year $13 million deal. And here are some of their big names that they've lost as well this offseason. They lost longtime offensive tackle Brian Bulaga. He signed a three-year $30 million deal with the Chargers. Blake Martinez, former inside linebacker for the Packers. And Kyler Fackrell, outside linebacker for the Packers. Both of them are going to be playing for the Giants. So, what do these two moves coincide with the Packers losing these guys? So Rick Wagner, not necessarily an upgrade from Brian Balaga. Balaga was a top right tackle last year. Even if he was struggling with injuries, he was a top tackle in this league. So Rick Wagner is going to be that guy that kind of bridges the Packers from Balaga to their next longtime tackle, hopefully. That's the plan. He's not going to be their long-term solution. He's a veteran guy, and they get him on a cheaper deal where they get him for about $5.5 million per year instead of paying Balaga $10 million per year with some of his injury concerns as well. The Packers are a little strapped on salary cap this offseason, so they had to take some of these cheaper deals. Christian Kirksey, two-year $13 million deal. What Blake Martinez got, I believe, three years $30 million as well from the New York Giants. Kirksey as well is one of those guys where he has a lot of upside, but he's injury prone. So they get him on the cheaper deal, but the question is, will it pay off if he's on the field? That's the hope for the Packers at this point. Are there some other things that we could hope that the Packers do? I mean, they still have some cap space. Do they? Can they co-side a tight end? Can they get a wide receiver? There's reports out there that the Los Angeles Rams aren't done with some big roster movements. Brandon Cooks, they say, is available. Could the Packers possibly use a third-round pick and get Brandon Cooks on this team? I think that could really help the offense and make it a lot more dynamic for Aaron Rodgers, give Devonta Adams a wide receiver too. Brandon Cooks is a guy, he's only 26 as well, so that could be a move that the Packers could make. It's depending on how much the Rams really want back in return because it's going to have to be a trade at this point. So Brandon Cooks is a guy to keep an eye on. They could sign a wide receiver like Robbie Anderson. He's another one, I think 25, 26 years old from the New York Jets. Now him, on the other hand, he's... They're expecting a little bit more. He's expecting he's a free agent, so he's expecting a little more in terms of around ten to twelve million dollar range per year on his next contract. There's also guys like Eric Ebron. He's a tight end, a former Detroit Lion as well, athletic tight end that could help the Packers out. So we'll have to see what they're thinking at this point, as they don't have a ton of space to make really a big deal 
and, and go sign a guy for 20 plus million or 18 million like they did with the Smith brothers last year. So we'll have to see what they do with the rest of this NFL free agency leading up to the draft. All right, so final thought on today's episode, a coronavirus update and, and where we are right now. There's no sports being played at this point. Some overseas leagues may be starting up soon. I know China might be, they haven't had a lot of reported cases. They Actually, yesterday might have had their first day without a reported case. So I think their league is getting started pretty soon. But right now we're still on the NBA 30-day break at this point. The MLB still has two weeks pushed back on their opening day. But now we're starting to see here some other big names. I mean, right now what we learned today, Kevin Durant and some other Nets players have tested positive for the coronavirus. We don't know a lot of these other Nets players' names, but Kevin Durant willfully let his name out there to try and send a message and just promote the safe habits that everybody has been saying this entire time. We also learned today that some players on the Lakers have also tested positive for the coronavirus. We've also learned today that Sean Payton has tested positive for the coronavirus, head coach of the New Orleans Saints, and he came out and advocated for a lot of the safety precautions that have been advertised and such like that. He says he's doing fine. He says he's actually had it for eight days now, and so his his symptoms are doing okay as he got tested. But now that's the first big NFL face that we've seen be tested positive for this virus, and we'll see what that leads to in terms of the NFL draft, if that gets postponed, or how they go about doing that as well. So what does this mean now for the MLB and NBA at this point. And, and here's kind of what I wanted to bring up with this coronavirus and something interesting that I listened to today about considering pushing the NBA league schedule back permanently now. Because what Adam Silver is hoping at this point is that they can come back at some point and play a couple of regular season games, maybe seven, eight games, and then still play the playoffs as scheduled. But what I heard was why not have the NBA schedule moved back permanently in the terms of start the season around Christmas because that's when the NBA starts to get big anyways. Everybody likes to watch the NBA games on Christmas Day. They're usually the best matchups. This year we had Lakers and Clippers and Bucks and 76ers and so on, games like that. You get the playoffs then around May and June, and then, of course, your season finishes up in July when the NFL starts to get rolling then in August and September, of course. So the NBA then could have their season start middle of December, so right around Christmas, and then it ends July, August. That is prime time for them because, I mean, right now the NFL, nobody's paying attention to the NBA in October and November when the NFL is in full swing. Every team still has a chance of making the playoffs. By the time it gets to December, a lot of teams are out of the playoff hunt. They'll start watching basketball at this point. Their viewership could go up. Of course, when the playoffs hit, they'll take a little bit of a dip but nobody cares about the beginning of the NBA season except for maybe just opening night, but then nobody's really paying attention until the All-Star break. So while that beginning of the NBA season is going on, you'll have the NFL playoffs, which is regularly scheduled for the NBA to have a down point anyways. Once the NBA, once the NFL playoffs are done and the Super Bowl is finished, you'll have the NBA right there in mid-swing around, All-Star, around the All-Star point as well. I mean, it just seems perfect timing then for the NBA to take the spotlight. Then you have the beginning of baseball in April. Everybody will be excited for opening day. 
Then, of course, you've got the big lull of the long MLB season. Nobody's watching baseball in July, August until it gets to September, October for baseball at that point. Baseball can take over for just the half bit there, but they're going to be sharing with the NFL anyways. The NBA can have it then from after the Super Bowl all the way until July, which is when it starts to get interesting anyways. I mean, it makes sense to me. I was just thinking about, I, I heard it today, and I thought, why wouldn't they move it back, start their regular season later, have it go till July, August? Seems to make sense for me at this point. All right, and final, final thought on today, the NCAA tournament, which we all know has been canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic. And first of all, what I want to say is you feel bad for, for all the seniors that were supposed to be playing in both the men's and women's tournaments this year. We saw for the women's especially, Sabrina Ionesco from Oregon. We, we saw her speak at Kobe Bryant's memorial as well. I mean, all these seniors. And it actually is crazy how fast the timeline of this went when I remember telling you last time how they went from just having NBA and maybe some NCAA games played without fans to now canceling them outright. You don't know how fast it goes until it hits you personally and people that you personally know. Like I remember my brother, who's a senior in college, was going to go on a spring break trip to Puerto Rico and literally maybe seven, eight hours, they said, before they were about to get on the plane, they had to decide that they weren't going to be able to go because they were worried about their flight there and, and possibly people there and possibly their flight back as well. They didn't know what was going to happen during the week and what would be shut down at the point. And then they tried to schedule a last minute trip to Arizona and they thought the same thing with some of these domestic flights too. So it just, it's crazy how fast the timeline went for a lot of these things. But like, as I was saying, the seniors that you feel bad for, if you haven't seen what ESPN Scott Van Pelt has been doing with their senior night for the past week so far, where they're honoring both high school and college seniors that didn't get to play in state tournament championships for seniors in high school in the NCAA tournament for seniors in college. They've been doing a lot of cool things with that. So you should check that out. But speaking of, of ESPN, what they've been doing is, They've done an ESPN BPI simulated tournament, which is a lot of fun. So, And if you haven't checked it out, you're going to want to as Wisconsin Badger fans because the Badgers are the NCAA champion of the ESPN's BPI simulated tournament. And I'll tell you how they get there real quick. Round one, they did it off of uh, some probably Joe Lenardi's projected, projected bracket. So round one, Wisconsin over North Texas. And then round two, Wisconsin over Liberty. Liberty was a 12 seed that beat the 5 seed Auburn. So Wisconsin takes down a 12 seed there. In the Sweet 16, Wisconsin over Marquette. Little Wisconsin on Wisconsin team right there. Marquette actually had to take down the number one seed Kansas in round two to get to the Sweet 16. So that's pretty interesting there. In the Elite Eight, Wisconsin over Duke, which is just great. You love it when you see Wisconsin beat a Duke team like that. Little revenge game right there. Wisconsin over Maryland then in the Final Four, Big Ten versus Big Ten team. And then Wisconsin over BYU in the National Championship. I don't know about you guys, but good enough for me. Hang a banner in in the Kohl Center at that point. So I just thought that was really funny. Go check that out. Read how the Badgers became the ESPN BPI simulated NCAA champion. So really interesting there. But all right, that's all I've got. For this week's episode, thanks for listening to the final final. I hope you enjoyed it. 
next week I'm hoping to have my first mock draft released on my website for you to read. It'll be uh, the first of two, and it'll hopefully be after this crazy first week of NFL free agency is over, and then I'll have one more before the NFL draft, whenever that is, because we don't know yet if that's going to get postponed, especially with the news about Sean Payton today. Either way, next week I'll reveal some of my favorite and better picks from this first mock draft, and then of course I'll have an episode just entirely of my second mock draft. That is all for this week. Remember to stay safe. Take the precautions from the coronavirus pandemic. Take them seriously. Hopefully you're all doing well. Hopefully you haven't lost it yet with the self-quarantine going on at this point either. Best of luck to everyone in that sense as well. Thanks again, everybody. And that is the final final.